Well, we, last week we took a little hiatus and uh, on our series here of uh, the mission of the church and looked in 1 John uh, and uh, chapter 3 and verse 9 on why Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We're going to return here to our theme here of the mission of the church. We looked at the, the first phase of, of the mission of the church and evangelism. It's, it's not uh, something that is just to happen to get a church going. It's to be a continual part of the mission of the church. And the second phase that we're focusing here, and I'm going to deliver the part two of that as we began uh, two Sundays ago on it, is the establishment of the church. We could call this discipleship, we call it strengthening. That is the Greek word that's used when it talks about the establishing of the church, or it talks about confirming the souls. Uh, that's the word that is used to read so. It's a word that means to strengthen. And Paul meant, uses it, in, uh, in, or Luke uses it in Acts chapter 14, where he says, um, Paul returned confirming the souls of the disciples. It's the word to strengthen. In Acts chapter 15, we looked and Paul returned through Syria and Cilicia, confirming or strengthening the churches again. Acts 16 verse 5 says, And so were the churches established in the faith. Then we looked in Acts chapter 18, and Paul returns and he strengthens all the disciples. And then the first part of Paul's treatise on the gospel, the fullest treatise on the gospel that we have in our New Testament, the book of Romans, Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end or the goal or purpose that you may be established. And then at the end, as we read this morning, he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Then our uh, verses that we read together as a congregation, 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13. Before that, and verse 2, Paul says, And sent Timotheus, our brother, minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Later on in verse 8, he says, For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. And then what we read this morning, That we might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Verse 13, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father. In 2 Thessalonians 2, he says, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And in Titus and Timothy, he tells uh, those people, Titus and Timothy, that the reason he is passing on this letter to them is so that they set in order what's lacking. They perfect what is lacking, so they are established. In Titus 1.5 and 1 Timothy 3.14-16. And so, the last time we, we met and, and, and gathered around this theme here, we looked at those verses here to, to, set, to set the stage for us. And then we turned to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6-8, through and we said, said that um, uh, Paul and the Holy Spirit desired to see the church in Corinth. They desired to see them built and rooted up, uh, rooted and built up in the faith. And Paul says, I want to see, and I'll turn to there so, you're, uh, so, we're, so we're together all on the same page. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Paul says this, he gives a charge to the Colossians and he says in verse 6 of Colossians 2, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. And now he tells how that's to happen. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you or take you captive. Kidnap you is the idea, through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments or the first principles of the world, 
and not after Christ. And so Paul is bringing out to our, to our uh, memory here that there are two systems here. And they are directly opposed to one another. They are the foundational principles that the world operates by. And they are the foundational principles of Christ and His church. And they are in opposition to each other. And Paul says, be rooted in Christ's principles. Not the world's. The world's will kidnap you. They'll take you away. They'll whisk you away. And he says, we are to be, uh, the charges to, we are to be rooted. We are to be cemented in the principles of Christ. Our foundation is to be solid in the principles of Christ. But out of that, we are to be built up. There's a structure that's supposed to be built up. God wants to do something with that foundation. Not just see an empty foundation laid there, but He wants to build something. And then thirdly, we're to be established. We're to be completed in the principles of Christ. So that's Paul's charge here. And we saw last time that there's a challenge. There's a challenge. Um, We have a mission as a church to bring oh, those on our community and our relationships uh, and, and, and on all around our neighbors to bring them uh, from, from the community to introducing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and, and have them be a part of our congregation and then from there to grow in commitment and to, to be a part of the core, the, 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 the members of our church and be committed to this church here and then out of that there should be a core people A core group of people who are committed lay ministers. Community would be the unbelievers, the unchurched, or the de-churched. The congregation is our regular attenders who attend here. They might be believers, they might be unbelievers here. But uh, the goal is for them to make a profession of Christ, uh, be baptized, and be the committed, enjoined in membership with our church. Maturing members, growing believers. And we want all of our committed members here to become lay ministry minded people. Nurturers. Nurtures. So we're moving the rings closer to the center is the idea here. And part of that process here is what we're talking about. Discipleship. Establishing. Establishing. But how do we do that? What is the course? What is the course? Well, Paul talked in Romans chapter 16, verse 25. He says, may God establish you according to my what? Gospel. The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. What God has done through Christ in order to bring us into a relationship with Him and with His forever family is how we are to be established. And you say, but the gospel, that was what, uh, that's, that's how I got saved. That was my door into, the, into, into new life. No, the gospel is more than that. The gospel is not just the entry point into the Christian life. The gospel is your A through Z of the Christian life. We don't just go into the gospel and then we move on to bigger and better things. There is no better thing than the gospel. We go into the gospel and we go deeper into the gospel. And so the course of establishment is the gospel through the word of God. And what I want to share, share with you this morning are there, we could say there are five C's of the gospel. Five C's of the gospel. Um, you can picture the gospel. And these headings, these categories, uh, as, a, as a greater framework for the church. And you can picture in your mind a tree. Picture in mind a tree. 
And what we have for the first C is the core. The core. The core of the gospel. It's what's known in the New Testament, used a Greek word called the kerygma. The kerygma, the core of the gospel. And the core of the gospel is the long trunk that everything connects to. The core of the gospel. What is the kerygma? What is the core of the gospel? What it, it is this. And you will see this as you study the sermons in the book of Acts that Peter and Paul gave. Uh, you'll see this and uh, uh, the things that they, that they mention over and over. But here is the core of the gospel. It is the announcement from God and through the prophets of the promise of a Savior from sin and death. It announces the story and facts of this Savior's life. His sacrificial death, His resurrection, His ascension, as well as His return to judge the living and the dead. is the announcement from God of good news. That is the kerygma. It is the facts of what God did in and to and through His Son to restore man to a right relationship with God and put man into his family. Peter's five sermons in the book of Acts revolve around this. I'd like you to to share with you one of them. Go to Acts chapter 10, please, and verse 34. This is uh, uh, Peter's message to the first Gentile convert, so to speak, of the church, Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verses 38, here's a synopsis of the kerygma, the core of the gospel, the facts of what God has done through Jesus. Here's what Peter says. Then Peter opened his mouth, 1034, and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which is published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that that through his name, whoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. That's the kerygma. That is the core of the gospel. The proclamation of what God has done through Christ. What happens after that is they believe the Holy Spirit is delivered. Peter preaches, Paul preaches this in the synagogue of the Jews, and it's as well as the center of his gospel. And 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 you can see a pattern here as you study these sermons. And we can boil it down to this: the age of fulfillment has dawned, as the prophets foretold through God's Son, the Messiah Jesus. He was born of the seed of David and lived perfectly and died in shame upon a cross according to the scriptures to deliver us out of the evil age. He was buried. God raised him again from the tomb on the third day according to the scriptures. He is now Lord of the living and the dead at the right hand of God. And the proof of this is the Holy Spirit whose effects you see. 
This Jesus will come again as judge. Therefore, repent, believe, and be baptized. It's the core of the gospel. And the invitation to it. But there's a second C here as we look at the gospel here as the establishing uh, course here. It's the content of the gospel. You say, what's the difference between the core of the gospel and the content? Well, the, the core of the gospel is like, the, if you can picture in mind, the trunk of the tree that everything uh, 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 hangs off of. The content of the gospel is like taking a cross cut of that trunk at different places. It's the other side of the cross. It is not just the facts of what God did here, but it's the invisible side of the cross, the spiritual side of the cross, the work of God behind the scenes, such as the doctrines of truth from the gospel that we come to love and cherish, such as the doctrine of justification. What God accomplishes through the cross, adoption, the glorification, sanctification, It's the content of the gospel here. It's God treating His Son as if He were a sinner, in order to treat sinners as if they were righteous. He does this when by grace through faith they've repented and believed the kerygma, the core of the gospel. It's seen clearly in the writings of Paul when he uses the word uh, evangelion, good news, in reference to the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus that would be counted as justification or righteousness to the sinner who believes. It explains what the cross achieves in the purpose and mind of God. Forgiveness, righteousness, union with Christ, adoption, redemption, justification, etc. That is the cross cuts of the trunk. And the richest treatment of the Evangelion, the good news, is a letter to the Romans. God's righteousness through faith and Galatians. Justification by faith alone. But there's a third C in this course that we establish uh, to be established in, and it's the conduct of the gospel. It's the fruit of the tree. The fruit of the tree. Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, I urge you, I exhort you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, there is a conduct that is to flow out of the gospel. Let me share this with you by turning, uh, turning with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Colossians. Said Paul said, the gospel that you received in Colossians 1 is now bearing fruit. That's the conduct of the gospel. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul has to confront Peter for wrong conduct that is not in line with the gospel. Paul says... Uh, and, and Galatians chapter 2, verse 5, To whom he gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel may continue with you. But some of these who seem to be somewhat, whoever they were, whatsoever they were, make no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter the apostleship of the circumcision, 
circumcision, the same was mighty me toward the Gentiles. Paul says there was an issue here. People were adding to the gospel. And therefore, their uh, conduct was not in line with the gospel. Paul says in verse 9, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given me, Unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we could go into the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we would remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles, but then when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Now, look at the next couple of verses here as I read, and keep an eye out for how Paul describes that conduct of the gospel. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, so much that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel... I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Paul says, Peter, your conduct is not in line with the gospel. is not what should flow out of the good news of Jesus. And so what that tells us is that there is a teaching uh, known as the Didache, or a teaching, the doctrine, that every believer was expected to know and live out in their personal walk before God, their families, and the larger families, the larger family of the church. There was a way they were expected to conduct themselves because of the gospel. It includes living out the gospel and teaching in the midst of the world. Paul puts it this way in Titus chapter 2. He talks about behavior that adorns the gospel, that decorates the gospel. He says in Titus uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 that they needed um, teaching that is in accord, in agreement with the doctrine. How to live in light of the truth of Scripture. Paul says in Titus 2.1, speak the things which become sound doctrine. That word become is the idea of being in accord, in agreement with sound doctrine. Tell them how to live, and that's what he does in the rest of Titus 2. Tell the church how to live in light of the doctrine, the truth of the gospel. So the household order of the church, we looked at that a few weeks ago, is the pictures of the church. And the family is central. How we live as our families, how we live as a church of God, is central to the proclamation, the propagation of the core, the content and the conduct of the gospel. So the third C is the conduct of the gospel. It's the fruit of the tree. It's the, the, the fruit that should grow out of a, a new heart here that we're to be established in. Well, you might say, what is the conduct of the gospel? Well, read Colossians 3. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, uh, exhorting one another in other places. It's the behavior that is the company, uh, what God has done in us. The fourth C is the context of the gospel. The context, and you can think about this as the soil that the trees to be growing in. The environment all around it. The air, the soil, the water. You know what the context is? It's the church. God's family is the ordained context, the family of families. It is the ordained context of the establishing process of believers. Not just your personal Bible reading and prayer. Those are good things. And I trust you are involved in those. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. 
It's a family of God. Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 shows the eternal purpose of God in structuring a unique people who in Christ would show His wisdom to the principalities and powers in the heavenlies. It's a Jew and Gentile becoming one new man in Christ, living according to the core, the conduct, and the content of the gospel as a well-ordered community that would show God's people as a display of His mercy. The context of the gospels, the church... Our churches benefit from strong families. And strong established families make strong churches. And strong churches are witnesses for the progress of the gospel. The context of the gospel is the local church. But then there is the fifth C, and that is the commission of the gospel. And you could think of this as the seeds that come from the fruit. The seeds... That the tree gives off. And those seeds are to reproduce what the tree already is. See, there was a commission that was given to the apostles to plant believing communities throughout the world. Making disciples was the main point of Matthew 28 as well as Luke 24. Make disciples how? By going with the word of God, evangelizing. By baptizing. By teaching and establishing the truths of Christ. So to evangelize strategically, to establish churches, to entrust well-trained leaders, that is the commission of the gospel. That is the cycle that Luke records and acts, the model to be used then in our age for the sake of the Great Commission. Developing leaders who are prepared in skill and character and biblical theology is vital to the furtherance of the gospel. So that is the course of establishment, the gospel. I want to close this morning with the crop. What would it perhaps look like then? The crop that is established. And what I want to do this morning is if I can have a couple ushers, a couple guys pass out a handout for you. Uh, Take a handout here because I want you to think through this with us this morning. if we're to be rooted, rooted and grounded, and uh, think through just one segment of the New Testament, Paul's letters. Not because Paul's letters are any more inspired than any other letters, but because Paul was given a special commission to uh, reveal the ministration of God in his church and establish them. And as we look at Paul's letters here, we could divide them up into three groups. <clears throat> Paul wrote some early letters, early on in his ministry. Then later on, about his middle stage of his ministry, he wrote some letters from prison, called prison epistles. And they have a different drumbeat, a different pattern. And then later on, at the end of his life, or the end of his ministry, he writes letters to key people, leaders in the church. So what I want to do this morning is, is, is just take some of those letters and group them in the headings there of early letters, middle, and later letters. And summarizing the content of each of those letters, Paul lets us in on a window of what it means to be established as a church, to be rooted and grounded, and helps us evaluate where we are as a whole. Generally. 
In the early letters in Paul's ministry, and perhaps Galatians was the earliest book that he wrote, seems to be, in my opinion, they're written to combat uh, what we just read a few minutes ago in Galatians uh, chapter 1 and 2 about uh, false teachers coming in the church there and through legalism adding to the gospel. Well, the book of Galatians, um, Paul wants to get across a message that the gospel of grace that began you is the gospel of grace that's to continue you. Like I said before, you don't move on to bigger and better things. The gospel is to be always central. And so, under Galatians, uh, there we can ask ourselves, is a church healthy in its understanding of the gospel, or is it sliding toward a different gospel devoid of grace? Devoid of grace. Is it going on in its own power, or is it depending upon the, 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 the strength of Christ, grace, to continue on? Secondly, under Galatians, is a church that has been begun by the Spirit in danger of now attempting completion in the flesh? Seem to be There's more in Galatians. Those seem to be two main thrusts of the book of Galatians. To ask ourselves, are we established uh, in, in those truths? A gospel of grace and continuing in the Spirit. First and Second Thessalonians, another one of Paul's early epistles, um, is a church, and there are more. And this is this is general distillation here of, of boiling things down. There's more things in these books, but uh, some of the, the key themes is the church standing firm in the gospel and not rattled by those who divert divert attention away from a focus on the penetration of the gospel through dangerous teaching on future events that leads to irresponsible living. That's a long sentence. I understand that. But are we being diverted away again from the gospel? 1 Corinthians. There's all kinds of things that happen in 1 Corinthians. Issues that have to be uh, restored and fixed in 1 Corinthians in the church. Are there fractures in the church that reveal immaturity because they are not fully established in the gospel? Fractures from comparing and prideful lifting up of teachers. Prideful lifting up of teachers. Well, this is my favorite teacher. This is my favorite teacher. Well, I love this guy on TV. Fractures from conflicts, disputes, and open sin. In the body, chapter 5 and 6, open sin. Fractures from a wrong understanding of biblical marriage, divorce and remarriage. Paul spends a whole chapter on that, chapter 7, biblical marriage. And singleness, theology of singleness. Not everybody gets married. Singleness, how are singles to relate in their um, state? As well as married in their state. Fractures from making debatable matters absolutes. Get hung up on tangents. Um, we can become tangential Christianity and our favorite, our pet things, right? Fractures from assembly meetings and the use of spiritual gifts without love. Talking about the gifts in chapter 12 and talking about how they flesh out in 14. In chapter 13, Paul says, none of this matters if it's not done in love. 2 Corinthians. 
Are the conflicts and problems that are, be to, are, that are to be expected in gospel ministry in a fallen world being used by some to undermine the trustworthiness of those entrusted to establish in the gospel? Sometimes people say if there's things that happen in the church, trials and stuff, then, uh, um, and then it means that some, something's not quite right uh, with, with the church and, and the devil can use that. Um, that there's financial difficulties, it must mean that God is not blessing the church. That there's sin in the church. Not necessarily true. <laughs> there were some serious financial difficulties uh, in the early church here, and it wasn't because necessarily of sin. Sometimes the devil can twist those things that way. Romans. Real simple. Is a church established in a full biblical understanding of the gospel? Those might be some common, uh, uh, some, some, some generalizations here of Paul's early letters here in the establishing of the church. But there's a drumbeat here. You understand it. It keeps going back to the gospel. The gospel, the gospel in the early letters. There's a reason for that. What about the middle letters? Paul's first imprisonment. Ephesians and Colossians. They have a lot of parallel and overlap here. Uh, said in different ways. But does the church grasp its significant role? And the unfolding plan of God and its riches in Christ. And is it walking worthily under this purpose? The grassroots role. What God has saved them uh, from, do they understand what they're saved to? Saved for? What God has done to them, do they understand what God wants to do through them? Is the church praying together for the significance, for the understanding of the significance of their calling as Christ's church and for the Spirit to unleash the power of Christ through them together. Spirit to unleash the power of Christ through them together. Paul has two prayers in Ephesians and everything revolves around those two prayers. They sum up what he wants to see happen in Ephesians. It's a church walking together in love, living in honest, wholesome relationships and carefully not grieving the Spirit through sour relationships. Is there a person on the other side of this room that you wouldn't go up and walk over and talk to and love and care for, then we need to be established in that. Is a church walking together in light by living careful and purposeful lives with the gospel richly dwelling, dwelling in their midst, taking up residence? Is a church organizing together its families, its families under Christ's lordship over the church with each member and submission to the authority over them and their respective roles? Are we living our family life, uh, personal families uh, under Christ's lordship? He fleshes what that looks like, fleshes it out. So you can't have a church, strong church family without strong established families. Is the church growing together strong in the grace of His power as it puts on the full armor to build Christ's church by realizing that the spiritual warfare is great and praying continually for Christ's church to be built. Armor. Put on the full armor. Philippians, middle letter. Is the church striving together with one mind for the progress of the gospel by unity in spirit and focus on one purpose? Focus. Even the little letter of Philemon, written from prison as Paul meets up with a fellow prisoner, we recognize this. Does the church understand the gospel's implications for relationships in the community? 
if they are to be one-minded in the advance of the Gospel. Kind of going along with the mending the relationships in order to be a witness to others. Then as we close here, there's, a, there's another drumbeat in the last letters of Paul, the final letters written to key men. Uh, he, he starts writing to leaders here because he understands that establishing leaders is, is crucial for the church to continue. And so in 1 Timothy, is the church conducting itself biblically as a local household of God by managing its life as a community as is outlined since it is the pillar and supporter of the truth. That's what 1 Timothy is all about. It could say also Titus and, and 2 Timothy. But here's how it happens. Is the church in line with God's creator, created order with men taking the lead? in the community or they just sit back men taking initiative in the church of God if we need men taking leadership uh, over things that men are supposed to take leadership over then do we have qualified men in positions of leadership qualified because of their own character and having demonstrated the ability to manage their own households well to manage their own household. The church submit to their leadership. Thirdly, are there men who devote themselves to the careful study and explanation of the word? Devote. Devoted to this. Chapter 5. 1 Timothy. Is a church devoted to caring for widows who are not able to be cared for by their children? as well as honoring those who have been exemplary wives, mothers, and servants of the church. Widows. It is true the church is supposed to support widows, but Paul outlines the qualifications for that. Specifically providing that, they, that these widows have been uh, servants of the church, have a good testimony, faithful to the church. Does the church take seriously supporting well, those who labor as leaders of the church, particularly those who labor hard at teaching, as the church takes seriously dealing with problem leaders, supporting. That's what chapter five, the rest of chapter 5 is about. Titus. Are there men appointed to set in order what it remains to be established in the church community so that the church becomes fully established? Men appointed to set in order what remains. Order. And finally, the last letter, this is Paul's second imprisonment. He's on death row. And what it all comes down to it, as he writes to Timothy, he realizes the baton must be passed. He's willing to do so. And we could summarize 2 Timothy with this. Are the key leaders who have been entrusted to establish the church and guard it, well-disciplined in the word, exemplary in character, and able to lead boldly. Key leaders who have been entrusted to establish the church. That's just a smattering here of, of Paul's letters. We have more than that in the New Testament. Uh, but it, it, perhaps this helps us understand what it means to be rooted and grounded. Are, are we need work in this particular area. Are we um, strong here? Uh, we're never, we never arrive, but as by God's grace, are we doing okay here? Uh, we can always do better. Uh, think, think through these things and, and pray for, for wisdom for, for myself and others as we uh, uh, evaluate uh, our church and our establishment. Because we understand when Paul writes these letters to the church, he is writing them because they are tools to establish the church.
They're not just a, oh, here's what Paul's going up to now. Pass this around. No. They are tools to establish a church and relationship with God Almighty and His purposes for His church. Let's pray.